0: Fill her up! You're listening to the Gas Digital Network.
1: We need to roll back the state. We spy on all of our own citizens. Our prisons are flooded with non-violent drug offenders. If you want to know who America's next enemy is, look at who we're funding right now. Every single one of these problems are a result of government being way too big. what's up everybody welcome to a brand new episode of part of the problem i am dave smith and he is of course the lovely roberto alfrego bernstein how are you sir putting some sex simple status on this i like i'm trying to i'm trying to get you a nice wife rob that's all i want that's all i want it's time it's time we get you settled down what do we got uh we got some some fun stuff coming up i have to check my calendar here but i think we got uh the, um, the secret group in Houston, Texas. Really fun. Uh, love that spot. Again, going back to Texas, um, we're going to go there. We're going to see what's going on with that border. See what's going on <laughs> with we do a border
0: trip. I'll rent a car.
1: I don't know that Houston's close to the border, though. I feel like me and you are the type who would somehow get down there and they'd be like, all right, go back to Mexico. And we'd be like, no, we're Americans. And they'd be like, no, you can't. You're not. We don't buy Let's it. See how easy you can't it is to in. sneak back in. We're, yeah, I was like, I heard the border was wide open. And like, <laughs> it is for pretty much everyone, but not you guys. Anyway, February tenth, one night only at uh, the Secret Group in, uh, in in Houston, Texas, down there. And then uh, we're going to be in uh, um, at Wise Guys in Utah, and then back to Rosemont and Chicago Zanies, uh, going back to the Funny Bone in St. Louis. We got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Comicdavesmith.com for all of those ticket links, um, and of course, go to RobbieTheFire.com for all of Rob's. Headlining shows, um, all right. And check out Run Your Mouth. I got a brand new of studio. Course.
0: I'm cutting fake news intros. It's a good time. If you never checked it out, check it out.
1: Make sure, make sure if you're if you're a regular listener of this show, go give Rob's uh, other podcast Run Your Mouth a listen. Robbie make sure fire, to fire
0: all one word on YouTube. Link yeah. in the episode description.
1: There you go. Okay. Um. So there's a lot that's happened. We did a live pod uh, over the weekend, but there there were issues with it, so it's not uh, going to end up coming out. Um, but so, well, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the last, uh, that's why I got in- to
0: show up live. I get spicy sometimes.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it gets spicy. It gets a little too hot for YouTube. Um, but, uh, so anyway, a lot's happened since our, our last episode. Um, and we'll try to cover or try to talk about a lot of it. So, but we got to start with what's going on right now. Um, so I did, a uh, Twitter spaces the other day with Scott Horton and one of the, uh, one of the major things that we were talking about there um, and uh, Scott had just written a piece last week about this and it, it looks pretty good. He's looking pretty good now um, in hindsight, that's the, the silver lining of this not very good situation. Um, but one of the things that we talked about a lot was how incredibly dangerous the situation, uh, the potential for a wider war, in the Middle East is now. And oh, man, it's like, talk about like, have we not have we learned nothing as a nation that we're still flirting with this danger of another, you know, catastrophic war in the Middle East. So the what we were talking about on the spaces is that like, look, you've got kind of this situation here and you can kind of try to zoom out from 10,000 feet and take a look at it. You've got there's the war in Gaza going on right now. Um, and I don't even know, you know, sometimes I'm not even sure the term war is accurate for what's going on in Gaza because the term war does kind of make you think there's like this government's military versus this government's military and they're having a battle to see who will win. That's not that's not really what's going on. Uh, what's going on is that. Israel is just decimating their captive, you know, uh, population in Gaza. Anyway, so that's that's happening as as we all know. And again, zooming out looking down in it, there's bi- essentially all of the Sunni Gulf states are America's sock puppet dictators. So there's th- there's not much of a threat of them intervening at least as of now. Of course, the dictators are all bought off off to be friendly with Israel, but about 100% of their people are totally hate Israel and, and hate what they're doing to the Palestinians. However, ironically, it's really the uh, the Shiites who, um, who are the ones who are standing up for the Palestinians. Something else, it's kind of an interesting dynamic for people who don't, and, and believe me, I am a complete non-interventionist. I really I, I i root for everyone in the world to have freedom and, and prosperity and things like that. But I really care about our country. I care about my family. I care about where my kids are going to grow up. I care about our nation. Um, so do, I am not at all uh, sitting in judgment of anybody who just doesn't know about this stuff over there. It's totally fine. You have every right to not know about that stuff. There's, there's only so much stuff any of us can know about. And if, if you don't know about any of this, it's fine. But just if you don't, to give you a little bit of background, and this is something that's kind of interesting is that there's, so of of course we were hit on September 11th by, uh, Al Qaeda, who's a, a group of radical Sunnis. Um, they were, uh, you know, Saudis and some Egyptians who camped out in Afghanistan and pl- and planned 9 11. So since that we went to war um in Afghanistan, of course, and took out some of the, the or all of the Al Qaeda there um, pretty quickly, and then went toward the Taliban and fought a 20 year regime change war against the Taliban, which we lost, and just ended up just giving them a lot more weapons and more control of the country. Then we go to war in Iraq. And we take out Saddam Hussein, who was a Sunni dictator sitting on a, a majority Shiite country. So the majority of the country was Shiite, but he was a Sunni dictator who was. And, and you know, the, the Shiites were second class citizens, essentially, um, and very mistreated second class citizens. So we do those two uh, those two wars. And then we, of course, because the, once we insisted on democracy in Iraq and they have a 60% Shiite population, who do you think they voted in? So that it's now a Shiite country. So then we do, um, around 2007, 2008, it starts actually before Obama gets in around 2007, 2008 is when you see the, um, the reversal, the, the redirection as, as they called it. And this is when we basically start fighting against the shiites because the the whole plan backfired and it just empowered Iran because now they had an ally in the shiite iraqis rather than an enemy in Saddam Hussein and basically since then in all of the wars it's it's been us either fighting against the the shiites or um and often, in the same sense, fighting with the Sunnis, the radical Sunnis, including Al-Qaeda and ISIS, including the groups who were supposedly the reason why we're in all these wars to begin with. But since then, we but there might have been some bombing campaigns. Uh, you know, there's been some bombing campaigns against ISIS in Syria. But really, who were we fighting in Syria? We were trying to regime change Bashar al-Assad. And so it just... I'll just say that, look, there's a lot there to get into, but w- the, one of the main points that I want to make is that if you ever wonder, which I doubt too many people who listen to this show are still wondering, but if you ever wonder whether this is really about a response to terrorism or this is just about empire, this kind of proves it. Because what we're, we don't actually have a major problem with the Sunnis because they're all bought off. They're all, they're all American sock puppets. But what we have a problem with is that the Shiites are not. Like, so you have Bashar al-Assad in Syria, you have the Ayatollah in Iran, you have the Houthis in in Yemen. These groups are all uh, Shiites and they're all not part of the American empire. So Obviously, I'm, I'm sure most of you guys have heard that the Houthis in Yemen have gotten involved in this war. Joe Biden went on a bombing campaign there about two weeks ago. Um, now, what me and Scott were talking about here is that the other day is that, look, you have American troops all throughout the region. Still, we still have troops in Syria. We still have troops in Iraq, Um Obviously, we have uh, bases in Saudi Arabia, um, bases in, in, you know, th- throughout the Arabian Peninsula. And this is kind of now we're in a situation where we're kind of like they're kind of sitting ducks. And the, what we were talking about then is that you can't these a lot of these Shiite groups here. Right. You have the, the Iranians, you have the Houthis, you have Hezbollah in southern Lebanon there. You have you know what I mean? Uh, uh, and you have the and, and you have Syria. And they none of these uh, countries have any threat of hitting the United States of America, but they certainly can target our our soldiers over there. And this is what's likely to get us into a a bigger war. So anyway, the other day this happened. Uh, Three uh, U.S. uh, servicemen were killed in Jordan and I think 15 or so were were injured. And so now Biden has vowed that there will be a strong response to this, and here you have the real threat of all of this going on now. Of course, as soon as this happens, there's widespread calls uh, for war with Iran because that's what you know the neocon war hawk types have wanted from the very beginning. This is something that they were talking about in the 90s. Um, this is something that Benjamin Netanyahu has been trying to lie the Americans into since the 90s, at least, maybe earlier than that, um, but constantly fear-mongering us about, oh, they're, a, they're, they're about to develop a nuclear weapon. Those, you know, it, we, we were always five years away, as you remember, Rob. We're five years away from developing a nuclear weapon. And then when Obama signed the Iran deal, Benjamin Netanyahu said, now it's fast-tracked. So presumably less than five years away. So we got to go to war with Iran because they're about to have a bomb. Of course, hindsight, you know, it was a, uh, I believe it was Douglas uh, uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor who said uh, time wins more arguments than logic. Um, And uh, that is true. And no matter how many people were making great arguments at the time, the time won the argument on that one, right? It's 2024. So you want to talk to me about how Iran is five years away from a nuke in 1998. Okay. Turns out you were just lying and they've abandoned that lie now. Now that's not even what they say, but now what they say is that Iran is the, is the source of all terrorism. Do you need to provide any evidence to back that up? No. Do you need to, you know, um, you know, I, I remember saying when I, uh, debated, um, Ben Dominic, he said that at one point he said, Iran is the number one, you know, sponsor of terrorism. And I literally just said to him on that, I was like, I, you know, I'm not even saying you're wrong, but like, can I see the evidence on that? Like I'm, can I just get a source on that one? He didn't provide one, but I'm just saying. Like, I I see that assertion made all the time, but I'm like, really, like, can we? Like, I'd like a source on that. I I don't know. I'm sure Iran does give some uh, some money to uh, Hezbollah, and they do. Like, I'm not saying there's none of the. And uh, you know, you could tell me how you define terrorism versus you know whatever. But more than Saudi Arabia more than the United States of America. Like this claim is just always made without any actual evidence being provided. Um, So anyway, we're now in one step closer to danger of of a wider war here. And I guess, I don't know, I mean, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, Rob, but it just seems so obvious to me that it's like, it's just so clear here that you go, well, look, why... Are we under this threat of getting involved in a wider war here? And after the disasters that all of the Mideast wars have been over the last 20 years, you would think the priority for us, for our country, would just be avoiding another one. And so what is it? There's two major factors. Why is it that we're at risk of getting into another war here? Well, it's because, number one, we're backing Israel in what they're doing to the people of Gaza. And number two, we have troops in the region. It's such an easy solution. It's such an easy solution. Just stop funding uh, the Israel war machine and bring your troops home. And if we were to do that, our risk of getting involved in another dumb war in the Middle East is approximately zero. So, but, and, and doesn't it just show how broken, like, our political system is that? nobody, no politician feels compelled to come explain to the American people why it is that we need to risk this, because why it's so vital that we inject ourselves in Israel's war with the Palestinians and have troops in the region. Like we're doing this thing that now risks yet another disastrous war, which, by the way, in a very real sense, could be worse than all of them put together. A war with Iran is not Afghanistan. It is not Iraq. This is a much, much more difficult challenge. And, um, so, but, and we're risking this exactly why. No one even feels the need to pretend to answer that question. And of course, because the corporate press is what it is, no one gets asked this question. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible or whatever it may be. You got to talk to Bambi. With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly, team members can reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you automate your important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. HR managers can easily cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off of your plate and you can do that by going to Bambi.com dot com slash P O T P right now and type in part of the problem under podcast. When you sign up, it'll really help this show out. Once again, that's Bambi dot com B A M B E E dot com slash P O T P. And under podcast, put in part of the problem. All right, let's get back to the show. Anyway, any thoughts on any of this? Uh, the current situation there, Rob? Yeah, I was uh, looking at it. It's a little bit similar
0: to your uh end of Ukraine and Israel war joke. But I look at this in America as like, can we just casually bomb you guys without being in a full war relationship? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just trying to casually bomb here and there. Come on, guys. Why do we got to turn this into a whole big thing? Yeah, like you said, you were down in yeah, the beginning. Just, now you're getting all attached. It really uh, It it feels like the. I've never been in this situation. I'm a five, six person. I don't pick fights. I don't end up in fights. It's not my jam. But like we've all seen kind of that scene in a movie or in a bar where you got your big friend and then some other guy who's like provoking a fight because he knows the big friend is there type thing. It, it kind of feels like the entire deep state is essentially doing that where they're around the globe and they're willing to be as provocative as possible because they would love nothing more than to force our country into a war. It's a win for them. It's a win for the deep state machine. It's a win for their agenda. It's a win for war profits. It's not a win for us, but they kind of provoke all these situations and it's a win if it can escalate to the point where they go, oh, look, we have no choice but to be in a war now. So you and I, we stand on the sidelines. We're like, why are we taking all these provocative measures? Why do we have bases in these countries? Why are we providing weapons for the Israelis to go kill civilians? Why are we doing all these things that would be provocative they prevent they pretend like it's not provocative and then when things start to escalate they go holy shit it's escalating over there now we got no choice but to take action
1: yeah and look you can um you can like read about this uh it was uh, actually John Mearsheimer who uh who wrote a bunch about this but Colin Powell after 9/11 told George W Bush you got to do a two state solution now like you have to do that and he was ready to do it he was like okay I mean, Colin Powell tells me too. you know, like George, Do- George W. Bush was smart enough to know that he was the dumbest person in his administration. <laughs> like He was, that's his level of intelligence, smart enough to know that he has to be listening to someone else on all things. But Colin Powell at the time was the highest ranking person in the military world of there's, I mean, if Colin Powell says, and why did Colin Powell say it? Why was that his response to 9-11? Because he's obviously like, well, this is why they hate us. Like, this is we got to take away the reasons why they hate us. Um, and it was a it was a delay in the House of Representatives who told George W. Bush that you he goes, there is no quicker path to being a one term president than that. There is just no, you know, and that's it. And he's just like, you know what, dude? I got 70 million evangelical Christian voters who I will all have voting against you if you think you're going to tell Israel that they have to do what they got to do and interfere with the plans of Jesus to come back or whatever. And and not only that, you're going to have the lobby on your ass. You're going to have the ADL. You're going to have just everything. This is not a fight that you can politically win. And so he backed off and didn't do it. So there's two two really interesting nuggets, right, about that story. Is like one that even Colin Powell, like these people they know what's up. They're not stupid. They know what like um what engenders hatred against America. It's what what we're doing in the region and specifically backing Israel to no end. And not just backing Israel like as if hey, you know, like there'd be a way to back Israel that would be kind of reasonable. Like if you were like, hey, we're giving you guys a state and we're having a two-state solution, but don't you fire any more rockets, or we're going to have their back. But I'm talking about backing Israel. Like Israel, you can do whatever you want to these people, and we'll always, you know, veto any uh, concerns at the Supreme Court, uh, the, uh, at the United Nations, and we'll uh, we'll keep sending you more foreign aid than any other country. Stuff like that. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is you realize that the politics, um, like domestic politics and the effect that they have on foreign policy. Uh, this is something that um, Daryl Cooper did a really good job of talking about in the it, it, I think it was in the end of his his great podcast series, uh, Fear and Loathing in the New Jerusalem, which I really highly recommend to everybody. It's so good. I mean, it's a real time investment. But if you really want to understand if you're like I want. If, if you want to really know what's going on with Israel, Palestine and you have 30 hours to invest in it that's the 30 hours to start you'll you'll come out of that ahead of almost every like talking head that there is if you just listen to this whole podcast and it's so good and it's just that you you he's just read every single book on every side. like this is a subject I think I'm I'm I would describe myself as pretty well read on and it's just like oh my god Like, if I've read 10 books on the history of Israel-Palestine, Daryl Cooper's read 60. Uh, He just knows every, and he's fucking memorized all of them. He just knows all the information. And don't get me wrong, I know he, like, prepared for that show and put a lot of work into it and had notes ready and everything like that, but he's just an expert on it. And he's really not, despite what, like, I'm sure a hardcore partisan Zionist or a hardcore partisan Palestinian would say he's biased, but he really is just giving you the history of it and really kind of has a lot of empathy for both sides. Uh, Anyway, one of the things that he really breaks down uh, later in the series, I believe it's either the second last episode or the last episode, was he was talking about how there are these, um, like, you know, you kind of have like a political system in, say, the United States of America that was set up, for kind of an isolationist agrarian society. You know what I mean? And now you're using that same political system to manage a world empire. And it just has its flaws in it. Like, this isn't really what it was made to do, you know? And then you have all of these things that kind of grew out of that that weren't what the original intention of the political system is. But so you'll have something like, um, the, the the way he was talking about it was when he was talking about kind of like how you have. So the British the, under the, the British mandate in Palestine, you have British soldiers who are basically like on the ground running the country and they're trying to figure out how to like, you know, figure out the Arabs and the Jews who are like really, you know, like having these flare ups of violence over and over again. And that but then their decisions are being dictated by politicians in England, you know? And if you're trying to get someone in America as, the, as, they, as you get into like the 40s and the Zionists start having their eyes on America more than Britain, or, or maybe not more than Britain, but they start having more, paying more attention to America. There, America isn't like, like if you want to affect American policy there, you're not, it's not as if the way it works is that a senator gets on the phone and calls up the local like captain of the british military in palestine and goes okay so what's the situation on the ground there like what's really going on here what do you recommend and then they make their decisions off that they're making their decisions like well i do have some jewish financiers here who i'd like to fund my campaign I I am in New York City. I mean, there is a fair percentage of Jewish voters. There's no Arab voters. You know, this is in 1940 or whatever. No Arab voters here. There are some Jewish voters here. And then you see how these like military decisions are being made based off of the instruction of a politician who's concerned about getting reelected. He's not concerned about like the f- facts on the ground or something like that. So, anyway, there's all it, it's an interesting dynamic, but that's part of what happened here is that the way the American political system, however it's grown for all of these different, you know, kind of like if you picture that octopus with all of its tentacles, like reaching into all these different things, you have the force where you have the Jewish lobby and the ADL and, and things like that. You have, um, let's say Jeffrey Epstein type uh, organizations that are collecting blackmail on different politics, but different politicians are compromised. You have uh, tens of millions of evangelical Christians who are very easily whipped up in complete support of Israel and forget what the reality is on the ground over there. In terms of our political system, it's unworkable to just not blindly support Israel. No, you're just not getting anything through if that's your plan. So unfortunately that's uh that's our reality here. Um, Okay. I'm going to go to the Biden video, unless you want to jump in with anything, Rob.
0: I've said uh, one other thing to say, which is uh, it's interesting the way that drones have seemed to uh, alter warfare that uh, for about a 20 year run, we were able to, uh, I guess, avoid being in wars with country and then strategically bomb them. And now the wheel has seemed to turn a little bit where uh, people that otherwise couldn't have reached us or attacked us very effectively uh, can use cheap drones and uh, make it very costly for us to defend ourselves. Because from what I, what I understand in the, the the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, whatever the hell that thing's called, Red Sea, is, yeah. Red sea, is that uh, we have the technology that we could be protecting ships, but it costs us like a million dollars every single time we got to like get rid of some little measly drone or whatever. And it's interesting, I guess, what I I don't really know shipping lanes or quite how catastrophic it is that uh, China and other countries have access to the Red Sea now, whereas uh, American major shipping does not. Uh, But it does seem like this is costly enough, perhaps to the American empire and the actual elites that they do have to get involved.
1: Yeah. Well, that's I, I mean, I don't know. seems like the cheapest way would just be uh, put a Chinese flag up on our ships. But I, yeah, it's uh, it's it is interesting. I mean, this was something like to your larger point there. This was something that all of us were kind of thinking about, like when when Obama first started his uh, drone uh, campaign and not, there were drone bombs used under George W. Bush, but it really became like popularized and mainstreamed under Obama that th- this is something that even a uh, People who don't know much about foreign policy know, yeah, it wasn't Obama, the drone bomb guy like he did a lot of that. And of course, that continued through Donald Trump and and now into Biden. But I remember back when Obama and this is the beginning of Obama's first term. It before he like went to war in Libya, before he switched sides and, and went uh, you know back to Saudis in their war in, in Yemen and and before the war in Syria, all this stuff. But the first thing was his major drone bombing campaigns uh, in Pakistan and in Yemen particularly. And this was something that a lot of people talked about where they were like, hey, we are kind of the ones with this technology right now. But isn't it kind of interesting that, I mean, it, this isn't even like with the nuclear bomb where it's like the writing's on the wall that other countries will develop this at some point. It, the technology moves so much quicker today. We're like you know in a decade that every country is going to have drones like this. And then what does that look like? And look, th- this was a drone attack um in Jordan that killed these uh three Americans. And I believe I was reading about it they suspect that the drone like followed an American drone and that's how it found the base or whatever, or that's how it's found where the guys were. Anyway, it is interesting. And there's no question it is, it is totally changed. Um, the dynamics of war, um, per, it, like it changed the dynamics of, of asymmetrical warfare for a while now. To your point, it changed the dynamics where a very powerful country could bomb the crap out of a very weak country without the powerful country having to risk anything or cost them anything. Right. Like you don't have to invade or you don't ha- you know what I mean? Or you don't have to like, I don't know, risk your Blackhawks being shot down or something like that. But now it seems to have had this impact where it's it's affecting asymmetrical warfare, but now from the less powerful side as well, because this, right, this is how the Houthis are able to fight back at all or do anything. And that was true in their war with Saudi Arabia as well. Um, Okay. Let's play. uh, First of all, I just, I can't overstate. I know the joke's been made a million times and not just by me, by everyone. Um, But I just, when, when you're in this dire of a situation and then you're like, Let's see what the commander in chief has to say. And then this is what comes at you. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Where where are his hands? Just pause it there for a second. I'm sorry, but Pause it and bring it back to the beginning. This was the longest I'm taking my sunglasses off I've ever seen in my life the entire time. He just walks forward. Like he thinks the uh the microphone's like a Twinkie or something. And just, just, it just literally looks like a puppet. Just look at his facial expression right there. It's so, uh, uh, hey, <laughs> like, g- g- come on, Jack. What are you? Uh, Why? you giving me a bunch of scuttlebutt. <laughs> All right, let's
2: play. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do hold them respons- responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it.
0: We'll have that discussion. They always conveniently do this by the chopper so that there's the plausible deniability of McKinan like he didn't hear what they, they said, yeah. Hear
2: them. yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking
0: for. It's always what they, we want humanity at the border, but we don't want people pouring in. They always, they they always got to talk with perfection as if there aren't choices that need to be made. We're going to strike back. We don't want it to escalate. And we hope that they'll just take the blow on the chin, realize that we had to respond and then do nothing back. We're going to continue to send uh, bombs to Israelis, but we hope that they don't use them on the
1: civilians. Right it's very convenient that you're going to do the thing that'll lead to this disaster, but we don't want the disaster. We just want the thing that'll lead to it. Um, you know, there's always something. And that this goes right back to the core of what got me into this world. It's the old, like Ron Paul argument with Rudy Giuliani, but there is, there's something where I, um, and I don't, I don't know why this always just clicked so clearly with me, but the, American empire and Israel, for that matter, they always rely on this, the most blatant double standard. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, where it's almost once you think about it enough, it's almost like it just presents itself. And you're like, yeah, but how you know, like it's like like when it, like the, when Israelis or, or uh, pro Israel types will just be like, well, you know, you kill innocent women and children and then that's it. You got to suffer the consequences for that. And you're like, OK, but what about when you kill innocent women and children? Because that sounds like identical to the logic of Hamas, right? Like you're saying, hey, you kill innocent women and children, then we got to have a response. And if some innocent women and children get killed in that response, well, then so be it. It's like, OK, it seems very close. It seems like your logic is very close to theirs. And it's just funny here to say to hear Joe Biden. They go, do you hold Iran responsible And he goes, well, yes, I hold them responsible because they're funding all of it. It's like, wow, like who else is using that logic in this conflict? Seems like the people targeting us, right? That's their same attitude is they're like, sorry, you're responsible for what's going on in Gaza because you're funding it. You're funding it and you're arming them. So you're responsible. So it's the same thing we're throwing back to them. It's just like... Why do we need these double standards? One standard will suffice here. <laughs> That's And by that standard, you're guilty of the same thing you're accusing them of being guilty of. All right, guys. Let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is by Optimizers. Let me ask you a question: Do you know if you're getting enough magnesium? Because four out of five Americans are not, and that's a big problem because magnesium is involved in more than 300 biochemical reactions in your body. So I want to tell you about the most common signs to look for that could indicate that you're magnesium deficient. And listen carefully, because we got a special offer for you that'll give you exactly what you need. So here you go. Are you are you irritable? or anxious? Do you struggle with insomnia? Do you experience muscle cramps or twitches? Do you have high blood pressure? Are you sometimes constipated? If that sounds like you, you got to check out bioptimizers. There are dozens of symptoms of magnesium deficiency. So these are just a few of the most common ones. Now, here's what most people don't know. Taking just any magnesium supplement won't solve your problem because most supplements use the cheapest kinds that your body can't use or absorb. That's why that's why we gotta tell you about Magnesium Breakthrough. It's the only full spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually use and absorb all optimizer supplements are best in class. If for some reason you feel differently, you can get a full refund, no questions asked. They're so confident that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. So check them out. Just go to BuyOptimizers.com slash P-O-T-P. In addition to the discount you get by using promo code P-O-T-P, you can get gifts with purchase up to two travel size bottles of Magnesium Breakthrough. So act fast. This is a limited time offer. Right now, go to Buy optimizers.com slash p o t p all right let's get back into the show um aside from joe biden there are other people in his government who are able to form sentences uh so this is what uh, uh the pentagon said uh yesterday
0: iran was behind the attack what does that mean
1: have you seen evidence of
0: financing or directing anything specific to this attack not just generally but
2: specifically uh, so maybe I need to clarify further um, from what Lita had mentioned we know that Iran funds these groups like Qatab, Hezbollah. We know that these IRGC backed militias are the ones responsible for attacks on our troops in Iraq and Syria. Uh, beyond that we're we're doing an intelligence assessment so we don't have I don't I can't give you today that this attack
0: thinking it Iran.
2: We just know that Iran funds these groups like Katahdin Hezbollah and other groups that have attacked our forces. But I don't have more to share on. Mm. As a general matter, yes.
1: Shocking, shocking! They don't have more to share. So that is it, right? We're all blaming Iran for this attack. And It's like, okay, all right. So, like, do you have any evidence that Iran was involved in this attack? Ah, whoosh, you know, we are going to have to get back to you with that. We are going to have to get back to you with that one. Um, Of course, uh, Lindsey Graham is tweeting bomb around now. There's a whole bunch of people, uh, you know, who are doing it. uh, This is pretty great. I got to say, I really did love this. That uh, let me see. I'm going to find it here because I definitely retweeted it. Um, But so Tucker Carlson uh, tweeted out an image, uh, like a picture of two tweets There was Lindsey Graham tweeted, hit around now, hit them hard. And Senator John Cornyn uh, uh, tweeted, target Tehran. And Tucker Carlson just tweeted that picture and said, fucking lunatics. And I just, I don't know why this sometimes, you know, like I come on my show or I go on some other big show and I just try to have the tightest, most irrefutable argument that I can put forth, you know, and then you just hear Tuck Carlson, the most influential right-winger in the United States of America, and he just goes, fucking lunatics. And I go, I think that's more powerful than any argument I've ever made. Like, that's almost how it's got to be true. Like, I'm sorry. you, If you are just saying you want a war with Iran right now, you are a dangerously insane person who hates this country, period. I, I, and I don't, you know, like, the neocons would always use that uh, accusation that you don't love your country enough. You remember when that was always like their thing, like either, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. Either You either want to go do this war or you hate your country. And it was always so stupid, so ridiculous, like, oh, you can't argue the merits of the war, so you have to just say I'm not a patriot if I don't support it. But at this point, after 20-plus years of terror wars that have just been disastrous and where we've had not only, you know, um, trillions of dollars wasted on these projects and thousands of our bravest young men have given their lives for this. And tens of thousands of them have swallowed a pistol in the aftermath of it. To just start and and just to be clear on this, this is not like my opinion. I mean, this is like an absolute fact that a war with Iran, I had one Green Beret guy who I used to know. I remember he said it to me like this. He said, if you're talking about like a ground invasion and like a, you know, like a war in Iraq in Iran, he goes, it's not Iraq times 10. It's Iraq times 100 is how different. And, And this is all, you know. Because of stuff that I don't exactly understand as well, but like it's like the the terrain and like things like this is just Iran is a much bigger country, a much more prepared country. This And if you're advocating for this now, after everything this country's been through, after 20 years of the terror wars, after three and a half years of the covid insanity with inflation, with the culture wars, with the debt. With everything that our country is going through, if you're saying on top of that now, I'd like to add a much, much worse war than the war in Iraq, you are an insane person who hates this country. You don't care about the country at all. And, you know, Lindsey Graham, as Tucker has pointed out before, and uh, others have uh, too, there's also a man who's like, um, what is he, in his 60s or 70s? Maybe. He is not married and he doesn't have any kids. It's like And he can't a, even go to truck arrest stops anymore. What kind of a life is he living? Yeah. Well, I'm just saying though, there is something about that where you're like, oh, you really like you're willing to risk this entire country and you don't really have skin in the game the way a the, a lot of the rest of us do. Like, like my kids gotta grow up in this country. This is very important that like we don't destroy it. And it's just it's unbelievable. It's something that I mean, you know, guy, if we survive as a species, like historians will write about how reckless and decadent our elites were during this time period, but that you're like, you're, you're sitting on the United States of America and you're just throwing it away. It's unbelievable. I remember, uh, there was this one moment. It was a really great moment where, um, goddamn, uh, Schweimer, is that his name? Uh, Michael Schweimer. I think I might be mispronouncing his last name a little bit. I apologize for that. But so if you, uh, I don't know if you've, uh, ever seen him rep, he was the, uh, under Bill Clinton in the nineties. He was the, he was at the CIA, uh, and he was the head of the bin Laden unit. Mm-hmm. So there was like a unit at the CIA that was trying to get the Osama- team. Yeah, but well, and he ran it. He headed it. And he was like, uh, not like a CIA analyst, like he was involved in operations. And he basically came out after 9-11 and went public and was saying like, hey, look, like we got to cut off Israel. That's that's really the source of this whole problem. We shouldn't be fighting these wars. We shouldn't be doing any. And this guy is just to be clear, this guy is like, I think if I had to describe his politics I'd describe him as like a hard right-wing nationalist type. Um he is not like a libertarian dove. Like his position is not his position is like is like Mr. President if you tell me to go kill these men I'll go kill those men sir yes sir but it's my job to report back to you that I do not think it's in our national strategic interest to go kill these men right here. You know like it was it was not uh like he doesn't he's like he he was very He was really CIA analyst mind, even though he wasn't just an analyst, he was involved in operations. But like that was his mentality was that it's very just like there's no like morality involved here. This is like, how do we win and what is in our nation's best interest? And he was just like, uh, he was like, yeah, we, you know, cut Israel off. We'll we'll get we'll get by just fine without Israel. We don't need them. They need us. And so screw that more trouble than it's worth. And all, same with all these wars, it was like, nope, you're falling into bin Laden's trip no, trap. No, you don't want to get bogged down in Afghanistan. That's what he wants you to do. We don't bankrupt ourselves doing this. But, so it was all just that. And so he went and it was driving people crazy because the guy was the head of the CIA bin Laden unit. So it's not just like some guy saying this. It was like, a you know, a guy with the best credential to be talking about this. And he was taught he would talk about how they, uh, you know, he was like, oh, Osama bin Laden doesn't hate us because we're rich and free. He hates us for these following reasons. And that's like, oh, he hates us because we have bases on his holy land. We bomb, you know, Muslim kids and we prop up Israel and they do this to the Palestinians. And so one time he was uh, he was testifying before Congress. And uh, again, like I was saying before, it's kind of that that divide that Daryl Cooper talks about between the kind of like intelligence uh, verse politicians, you know what I mean? And like the way, the weird way that they interface with each other. But so it was a uh, Peter King, the, uh, the Congressman from New York. I'm pretty sure it was him. I just forgive me. I'm just going on, this just popped into my mind and I'm going off memory from like wherever, you know, 20 years ago or whenever this was. And, uh, Peter King is grilling him and he's kind of like, you know, he's like, you. so you don't love Israel and you don't care about the only liberal, you know, democracy in the region and blah, blah, blah. And just going off on like how horrible he is, he's kind of doing this like political theater thing where he's like, you, sir, don't you would allow Israel to be destroyed by all of these people. And at one point he's just like talking about how, you know, um, despicable a person he is for saying this, kind of like making these personal insults. And uh, Michael Scheuer just goes, uh, he goes, sir you're presiding over a bankruptcy. You're in no position to lecture me about anything. And it was like the only time that like he actually like interjected back a little bit with like another attack. But it was just something so interesting to say. It's because like, sir, this the way he said it. Because he's like this old school CIA guy. And it was just so serious. Like he's like, sir, you're presiding over a bankruptcy. Like, that, like I don't know. I just found it so powerful. But it's like, yo, you... Inherited the United States of America, and you bankrupted it. You are the most profound failure in the world. For you to lecture anybody else about what to do about anything. Anyway, oh, so I just thought I remember that moment really hit home with me. I thought it was cool. All right, let's uh let let's move on to uh, uh some other things. So I, I wanted to mention this real quickly. Uh. The, the, Moving back to domestic politics, because we do got this uh, presidential election, we're in the middle of a primary season. So I had uh, said a few episodes back after, uh, I guess, after New Hampshire, that it's pretty obvious to me. I don't really think anyone can make a counter argument. If there is a good counter argument, let me know. But I certainly have not heard one yet. But it seems pretty clear that Nikki Haley is only staying in the race because she thinks there's a chance Donald Trump's going to be removed from it. And that if there was any, in any other election, she would drop out right now. Like that is the, if you were just, you know, uh, in football, Rob, where like the coaches have the, uh, like the charts where it's like, okay, this is what you do on third and seven. This is what you do on fourth and two on the 28 yard line. You know what I mean? Like they have all the different, like, but this is what you do under these circumstances. Well, like if there was a chart for primary politics, When you get walloped in Iowa and New Hampshire and you're down by 30 points in every single state that's left and the next state is your home state where you're down 30 points, you drop out of the race because what's the point of sticking in and wasting all these resources and humiliating yourself in South Carolina? All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Prize Picks. And as you already know, Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you just pick more or less than on two to six player stat projections. Basketball season is in full swing. And now you can pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. So, for example, you could take LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three pointers made and receptions. If you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players, like rapper Meek Mill or comedian Andrew Schultz, you can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured for football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an insurance policy. We all know how fun gambling is, and if you want to get in on this action, go to PrizePicks.com/potp and use the promo code POTP for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Again, that's PrizePicks.com/potp promo code P O T P for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. All right, let's get back into the show. It's interesting to see the dance of how she's sticking in. But anyway, this was a clip of Nikki Haley the other day, all but confirming what we all kind of know is the reason she's staying in here's, here's Nikki Haley on Donald Trump's. Oh, I should pause it just before I mention it. Cause we, uh, um, we, I think we didn't mention, uh, on this show, we did on the live show, but this is, I, I believe, a response to Donald Trump owing what was it, 28 million dollars in uh, in damages for that ridiculous case. So, anyway, here's Nikki Haley, it was 83 uh, total, 83 total. Okay, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, it was 83. I'm way off on that. Good, good catch, Rob.
2: But on the subject of your opponent we should point out it's just four weeks down until that all important south carolina primary you're taking some new fire from uh, donald trump's campaign and supporters for what you said about the e. Jean carroll case on meet the press yesterday of course the president was found liable in that case a jury awarded her 83.3 million dollars here's what you said when you were asked about it i absolutely trust the jury and i think that they made their decision based on the evidence So so the New York Times wrote an article around that in which it said in part, quote, four weeks before what could be the decisive Republican primary in South Carolina. Ms. Haley is trying to navigate an extremely narrow and treacherous path, finding a way to diminish Mr. Trump's hold on her party's electorate without decisively turning conservative voters against her the way they had destroyed other Trump critics. How do you navigate that path, Governor? It cracks me up that people try trying to overanalyze. I just tell the truth as I see it. I think there have been politics played with prosecutors that have brought on some of these cases. I think there's been politics played even with the judges. But I do think American juries still get it right. They listen to the evidence. They make the decision based on the evidence. And I do still trust any American that sits on a jury, I trust that they're making the right decision.
1: <laughs> it's a lot there. I just love that. This is the way she's trying to weasel out of it. He goes, well, I mean, any American who sits on a jury, they always make the right decision. I'm always with them. There's never a bad juror. <laughs> That's just not a thing. So yeah, I can't really deny that the prosecutor was corrupt for bringing these charges for obviously political reasons. But if a jury finds him guilty, then I trust the jury this is it. This is her laying it out. This is her strategy here and how her best attempt at how she will uh, she will stick around hoping Donald Trump gets removed and justify it on the grounds that hey, he had a jury. He had a jury of his peers. Sure. Does 83 million dollars seem like a lot? Yeah. That does. You know, this is um I I will say moving away from Nikki Haley insanity and onto uh, what's actually going on. uh, This is a very disturbing. I don't know if I could call it a trend because I'm really only thinking of two cases. I'm thinking of Alex Jones and now Donald Trump, but there is something where this seems to be in our very highly politicized culture and of course, as we've discussed many times, we, we now live in an environment where I think anybody being honest with themselves would have to concede that somebody like Donald Trump or Alex Jones, it's just it's basically impossible for you to have a fair trial by jury at this point, you know, especially Donald Trump in New York getting a fair jury trial. This is ridiculous what Nikki Haley's saying. saying, um, but it seems like there's these things where look, to me, the Donald Trump one just seems insane. I don't even understand how he could be found guilty in a civil case. That This woman is a batshit crazy woman who has some claim that Donald Trump groped her like in public when he was the most famous man in the world. And there's no one to back it up or corroborate it. Like I just it doesn't seem right at all. But Typically, even if he was found guilty, he may owe this woman a few hundred thousand dollars or maybe like two million dollars or something like that. But they're clearly making it 83 million to try to give him the absolute max, just to like, that's how we're going to get him, essentially. And this is what they did with Alex Jones, too. I mean, maybe you can argue that, but him entertaining. The like, uh, you know, the idea that Sandy Hook thing didn't happen and that the parents were lying, that that was defaming them and that, you know, that he, uh, you know, other people were harassing them or whatever as a result of it. Um, But you would give them a billion dollars or whatever they were. You know what I mean? So it's like this weapon, the weaponization of the the money verdict, you know, and there's something very disturbing about damages.
0: Huh? It's literally called punitive damages. Right.
1: Right. So it's it's a new like technique for ruining people.
0: And I'll add another. She admits to the problem when she says that, hey, the uh, jury and the judge might be politicized. I'll tell you another element to this is the fact that it was platformed on the news. Like, where are all the Clinton claims? So here you have they changed the New York state law. At, I think even at, she only came forward once the guy's you know running or is in an office or whatever, and then the news puts her on because they hate Donald Trump. Like in the past, if you got some crazy lady making some claim from thirty years ago, the news won't normally. If they're if that's Joe Biden, you got some crazy lady making a claim, they're not putting them on the news. And if they put Damn. them on the news, you leave the president with no choice other than to go, "Hey, that's not true." And in terms of the jury selection and of being in New York, that to me is the most corrupt part. And to uh, I think there's another case that showcases the corruption of that even more. And I, I, everyone should go watch this. Uh, um, Tucker Carlson did a 45-minute interview with the guy who is going to jail for the tweet he, for tweeting a joke meme that you can text in your vote for Hillary Clinton. They could not prove that a single vote had been affected because of that tweet, but they brought it to a jury in Brooklyn. And so they were able to cherry pick a county that was very liberal and would get a, a guilty verdict. So the idea that, like, you know, you can bring cases that aren't traditionally brought uh, that you can change the way the news cycle is usually done to force someone to address something and then bring it into a uh, a district that obviously dislikes a person. Yeah, the, it crazy, the, the,
1: the crazy, it the crazy thing about made
0: on the live show, which was great, which is uh. I mean, if you're sitting on a jury, how much fun is it to go? Yeah. Charge the guy a billion dollars.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, look, and the, and the one you're talking about, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but the one who Tucker interviewed, we talked about it on the show as well. But the thing that was so creepy about that one is that it's also, first of all, it's not even, it's not, there's no ambiguity to what he did. We all know what he did. We all see what the offense is and it's nothing is tweeting a joke. He didn't even make the meme. He just tweeted it. Um, And then, you know, like, whereas with Alex Jones, I mean, you could at least like get into how irresponsible and wrong it is to say something like that when you don't know whether it's true. And with Donald Trump, I suppose there's a little ambiguity about like what actually happened. She's making an accusation or whatever. But with this kid, it's very clear. So that's one. But then number two, it's that he was nobody. He was no, this wasn't going after the former president of the United States or going after this huge right wing talk show, or talk radio show guy or anything like that. He's just like a random dude who it's like they almost just wanted to make an example out of like someone who's on 4chan, you know, like you got to go down. And so that, yeah, just incredibly creepy. Um, OK, before uh, before we wrap up this show, I did want to play this clip because I just found this to be so hilarious um and uh this is real by the way i did my uh due diligence when i first uh our producer brian sent this to me uh last night i guess or early this morning either early this morning or last night and um uh my first reaction was almost like hey is this fake dude like this just seems too well, like easy to fake and and just too hilarious. But oh, no, no, no. It's real. And in fact, she has apologized for this. But here was there was a little bit of a hot mic uh, incident on uh, Joy Reid's uh, show at MSNBC. So let's uh, let's play it.
2: Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take
0: action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue.
2: If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done.
1: Starting another fucking war. <laughs> Still trying to kill the... All right. ...of the weekend. So this is a... <laughs> Look, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of speculation here of like, what, what was she saying there? But she... It seems like the... It seems like what she was saying is that she was like mocking president Biden to her staff thinking her mic wasn't going to be on until it had, it had the, the clip What's had up ended that show,
0: by the way that just the joy Reid reacting to clips, honestly show every single <sighs> time the video goes up. If you could actually get her
1: commentary, you might have a good show there, but it does. It makes you wonder a little bit because a lot of these people on MSNBC, like a lot of them, I, I knew them before they all lost their minds you know like before the rise of anti-trumpism and the rise of woke insanity and the rise of covid insanity and a lot of them were at least like reasonably anti-war and um it's just interesting you're like oh so what's really going on here and i do think that first off a lot of these people are are willing they have made the decision i will take the money and say what you want me to say and it's that dishonest and i think that um uh, a lot of them they see it it's it's very clear that the overwhelming majority of the corporate media decided probably before 2016 uh, 16, but certainly since then that you know whatever it is their job to make sure Donald Trump does not get elected and they've convinced themselves or whatever that's what's best for the country and whatever that's that is what their job is, And by the way, to be fair, this is always I do actually kind of agree with that one aspect of what Taylor Lorenz said on that clip that we played on the last episode, that I do think that um, objective journalism is a myth, in a sense, uh, not to say that you can't I should let me rephrase that the, that the objective journalist is a myth. The objective journalism can be done, but there is no such thing as like, well, that guy's a commentator, but I'm a straight reporter. I don't have any opinions. I just deliver the news that doesn't exist. And even within all of those people who call themselves objective reporters, they um, there are like given priors that they come to the conversation with every single one of them, if you ask them, is democracy good would say yes democracy is good. Now, however you feel about that, I'm just saying they're working from a framework of like, well, obviously, like democracy is good and dictatorship is bad. So it is my job to promote democracy and not promote dictatorship. Now, you may completely agree with that. There's a totally reasonable argument that that is, in fact, true. Um, But I'm just saying it's not just purely objective reporting. You're filtering that through a lens and their lens is we must ruin Donald Trump. Now, maybe they have an argument that they can convince themselves of why we just think that would be this guy's Hitler. And if he gets elected, the whole country's ruined. So that's our job to do that. But that's what they're doing. But it's kind of interesting. It's just a little glimpse into behind the curtain that, because you know, in some way, like a lot of these people, they gotta fucking resent Joe Biden, right? Because they so just want Donald Trump to lose. And then they got to just be like, oh, my God, could this guy not be such a retard? You know what I mean? And, like, oh, and, and I think that was kind of what we heard there. It's like, oh, start another fucking war. That's real popular. That's really going to work. You know, so that's kind of my guess on this. But either way, it's it's a, it's a window into the level of dishonesty, because obviously the segment that's on there is her doing what? Defending Joe Biden against the bad Republicans, all she ever does. But when she thinks the mic's muted, she's basically like, yeah, this fucking guy, you know.
0: Also, the uh, the Biden uh, new border pitch is pretty incredible uh, that he's claiming he does not have the authority uh, to stop the current immigration. But if Congress gives him the authority to basically legalize what's currently happening and process 5000 people a day. Then once they hit that 5,000 people a day limit, he will then have the authority to stop the border. It's essentially a plan to legalize very high immigration levels with some sort of a claim that he does not currently have the authority uh, to close or enforce the border and without any sort of a mention for what this magical plan will be after the 5,000 person limit. And why not just do that before the 5,000 person limit?
1: Yep. No, it's uh, it, it's the way it always works. It's like, look, we have to do the amnesty now and then we'll get the border security later. Yeah. And we do the amnesty and then you never get the border security. Look, we can do tax cuts for the rich now and we'll do spending cuts later. You get the tax cuts for the rich. You never get the spending cuts later. This is constantly always the game. But it is it does seem like just on the politics of it, you're kind of like, all right, good luck selling that one, dude. I mean, Elizabeth Warren was out on, uh, on the news uh, earlier today or maybe it was yesterday. And she was saying, she goes, you know what's going on with the crisis at the border? It's that Donald Trump wants this crisis at the border and he wants it so he can run against it in November. And this, the Republicans are keeping it going so that Donald Trump can run against this border crisis in November. And you're like, oh, dude, I mean, all right. I mean, I like I almost applaud your effort, lady, <laughs> but good luck selling that one. That uh, yes, our policy is a disaster. But Look. Look at them cynically running against our disastrous policy. See, it's their fault. It's like, yeah, okay. Now, by the way, there probably is some level of truth to that. It's like, yes, it works out politically very well for your opponent if your policy is failing. But that's not no one's ever been able to use that excuse before. Like if when Obama was running against the war in Iraq, George W. Bush couldn't be like, well, very convenient how that works out for you that my war is a complete disaster. Oh, and who and who benefits from that? Well, it looks like you do. So therefore it's your fault. I mean, it's just too. It's that some things are too ridiculous to to stand. It's like uh, you're building a four-story house out of silly putty. I actually don't think that's going to work. I don't think that's possible. All right, guys, come uh come see us out on the road comicdavesmith.com, robbythefire.com, go check out run your mouth um and uh yeah, catch you guys soon. Peace.